0: So what's weird? Have you ever wondered, ever thought? Uh, Let's see, what's weird? Let's say you're a kid and, and you're not feeling well and you're at school and you go to the school nurse. And when you get there, she's sitting there with a cigarette hanging out of her mouth, filing her nails with a sign on the door saying, do not disturb, that's weird. Uh, Or you go to a dentist who has horrible teeth and all the time with his bad breath he berates you on not taking good care of your teeth. That's weird. Or a cop that you see walking aimlessly because he can't find his car. That's a little weird. Or a pilot who's afraid of heights. I don't know how you do that, but I've actually known one like that. That's weird. Um, Lawyers who join you in a lawsuit against them because of the poor job they did for you. Now that would be weird. It would be welcomed, but it would be weird. Um, Boxers. Heavyweight fighters who are afraid of spiders. That's weird. Um, Surgeons who don't like blood and get squeamish and pass out. That's weird. The world's sexiest man, who later becomes a woman. That's weird. Oh. Or uh, your doctor, when you go to him, tells you it's okay that you're overweight because his mom's overweight and she's very nice too. That would be weird. They're weird because, in many cases, weird represents contradictions they represent things that just don't fit things that don't go together that's what makes weird check this one out Paul writes these words in Titus chapter 1 verse 16 he says this they claim to know God but by their actions they deny him They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Now, that's just weird. Because everyone knows it's not supposed to be like that. How can you know God and yet act in a manner that's opposed to God? I mean, followers follow, right? And so you can't... Follow and not follow at the same time. That's just weird. And that's what makes Christians weird sometimes. Because people look at us and they say, well, wait a minute. You can't be a follower and not follow. You can't love and then hate You can't talk about the glory of God and then live on the ditches and trenches and gutters of this world. That's just weird. This morning as we continue a series we started a few weeks ago called Living as Christians Without Looking Weird, this morning I want to talk about contradictions Because it's contradictions that make us look weird to the world. And I want to hone in on how those contradictions come about and how we can get rid of them as believers in Christ. We're going to look at um, a great passage of scripture. It's Acts chapter 3. And so I'm going to ask if we just put that up on the board and you can follow along definitely in your scriptures and I would encourage that. Acts chapter 3. Now let me tell you something a little bit about the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts is really the record, the recording, of when weirdness began in the body of Christ. I mean, really, I mean, when you look at it, In fact, it's a recording of, of when weirdness began in the best sense of the word and in the worst sense of the word. When you read the book of Acts in the first two chapters, man, you get the best sense of weird, the divine sense of of being weird, of being different, of not fitting in. But after Acts chapter 2, then it becomes a mixed bag. You see the good weird, but then you see the bad weird. You see the weird that human beings with their human natures not only act depraved, but believers in Christ instead of living according to their new natures, live according to their old natures in just horrific ways. Well, this is a great book because when you study Acts, all you see is weird. From the very beginning, Jesus meets us in the resurrection. We're told that Jesus was on the earth for over 40 days, sharing with his disciples, making himself known to over 500 people. And then he took him up to the Mount of Olives and he ascended into heaven. Now, that's weird. You don't see that every day. In fact, it was so weird that after he ascended into heaven, they just wanted to camp out there. They didn't even want. It. They just said, "This is too cool. We're just going to wait for him to come back and get us." And then angels descended upon them and said, "What are you doing? Go get, do what he told you to do." And so the disciples leave, and they go to Jerusalem, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit descends on them and in them. And they begin to just become transformed. In fact, as they're speaking, they start speaking in different tongues and, and people rush to them because they can't believe what they're hearing. <clears throat> and on that day, Peter, who is known as the person who denied Christ and was the one who ran away, gets up and he preaches to the people of the glory and power of the resurrected Christ. And he becomes so persuasive that over 3,000 people repent and give their lives to God in Christ. Now that's weird, but that's weird in a good sense of weird. And that brings us right up to chapter 2. So uh, if you can read along or follow in your Bible, uh, look what we read. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of, uh, at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Sorry, that's kind of off a little bit. Now, a man who was, uh, boy, I can't even read that. Let me turn this way. Um, now, a man who was lame from birth, and we got it again, um, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, let me tell you what what we have here. So Peter is going to the temple to pray, and it's three in the afternoon. Now, that's a little off for people living in Jerusalem at that time because it's pretty much a Romanized culture, but there are still good, faithful Jews But Peter isn't just Jewish anymore. Peter's a believer in Christ. And he's going to the temple of the Jews and the temple of God to pray to God but to a God that they're not fully realized or have fully come to realize. They're going to a temple where they're worshiping the God that has been made manifest to a bunch of people who don't believe it. To the people around them, I'm sure Peter and John looked pretty weird. And, and here's the thing. When they get there, when they get to what's called the beautiful gate, they see this beggar who's placed there to beg people for money. Now, the thing about the gate is the gate is ornate. It is made of uh, gold and silver and what a weird backdrop to put somebody to beg for alms, to beg for money, to beg for food. You would think that the religious establishment would have cared better with all of what they had as their resources, but they don't. In fact, the man is taken there every day because the Jews who would go in understood that it was considered meritorious to give alms to the poor so it was part of their ritual to give to show how righteous they were before god that's weird because god doesn't care about that kind of righteousness you don't earn your pass into the kingdom by doing good things to look good peter and john show up and the man sees him look what we see in verse three When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. That sounds a little weird, doesn't it? Why does he ask the man to look at them? He didn't look at the people walking by. They didn't look at him. They didn't look at him because he didn't matter. He was like, he was like a, a statue. He was part of the ritual of worship. So when you walk in the doors, you, th- you throw money to the beggar and you keep going. They didn't look at him. And he didn't look at them. Because it's painful to look at people who don't really care about you. And Peter and John were fully aware of it. They weren't going to do weird anymore. And so they look straight at him and they say to him look at us because you matter because you're equal because in God's kingdom there's nobody who's weird in the definition of being outside of the ability to receive his love. See, that's weird, but that's weird in the good way of weird. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Now, that's weird. Why is that weird? You would think this, this man would appreciate this opportunity for intimacy. You think he would be at that place of saying, you know what, finally, somebody cares about me but he doesn't care anymore. He's, he's become too callous by people who don't care. All he wants is what he usually gets, what he usually expects. Isn't it interesting that we can get to the point that we can go through life expecting very little? Very little from God? Very little from the people of God. And isn't it even more weird that sometimes the people of God meet our expectations and give very little? Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. Now look at this. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Now most commentators see this as poignant and significant because remember, who's writing the the book of Acts? Luke. And Luke is what? A physician. And Luke is being very, very specific here as he's describing the events and instantly they help him up with the right hand and instantly the man's feet and ankles become strong so Luke is telling us that there was something wrong with this man it happened at birth to the point that that his ankles and feet couldn't even move together that maybe something in between and the joints was off but but there was deterioration to the point that the chances of this guy ever walking again, it was not going to happen. Now can you imagine, as Luke wrote this as a doctor, he must have just been smiling and saying, I said, Jesus, now this makes sense. It, 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 would, it would be like me having someone just walk up and, 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 and hold me for a second. And then everything on my x-ray disappears. And my back just goes perfectly straight. Yeah, that's weird. But that's weird in the best sense of the word. Then he went with them into the temple courts. And the lame don't go into the temple courts. Because in Judaism, anyone who was broken, anybody who was seen as unfit wasn't allowed to get that close to God. But you see, he's no longer unfit because he's no longer lame because something very special has happened. Walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder. And and the word amazement should be there. Uh, When Peter saw this, verse 12, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Now, I want you to pay close attention right now because we're going to focus in on what we've been talking about, how it happens and how we move away from it. He says to them, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us As if by our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. Now, what is he doing? He's taking them back to their faith. Now, I want you to think about that. These are people who think that they are faithful, These are people who think that they are religious. And yet Peter is exposing their weirdness. Because they come and they're amazed and they think, wow, this Peter must have some really incredible power. He must be some great doctor or he must be some magician or something. And they're looking at him. Now where are they? They're at the gate of the temple of the God of Israel. What conclusion should they have made? Wow. God is here. And God is active. And look what God has done. They don't. (laughs) It's just a game. They look at Peter and they think, how'd you pull that off? What'd you do? And Peter says, what's wrong with you guys? You think it's about man. You think it's about our power. It's not. He said, Our forefathers, uh, the great among the greats, uh, Moses, Abraham, all of them did what they did to prepare us for God's servants. You handed him over to be killed. And you disown him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. And you disown the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. He's saying this. This Jesus who just allowed this person to walk is the same Jesus that all the prophets had been waited for. And when he came to you, you had become so weird, so distant from God, that when your faith became fulfilled, you tried to kill him. You handed him over to be murdered. And in fact, you became so weird and distorted, you put to death a righteous man And you released an unrighteous man. How weird is that? Religious people do weird things. And the worst kind of ways. They do sinful things. They do cruel things. (laughs) They talk behind other people's backs. They wish evil on other people. They minimize their own sins and magnify everyone else's and come to all sorts of reasons why they're good compared to everyone else. They become so messed up. And that's what Peter's exposing. And it's not because Peter's angry with them, because Peter was one of them. Peter recognizes it. You want to know something? It's only when you recognize your own weirdness, your own separation from God that you can do any good in the lives of others. Peter goes on and says, we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. Repent then and turn to God. Now this is weird because they thought what? God and and, and me, we're buddies. We're good friends. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. Who else goes to the temple except people who love God? Wrong. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. For Moses said, and this is important, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. Verse 24, indeed, can you switch? Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. He said to, now look at all these Old Testament references. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Now, here's the deal. He presses in on their faith. He talks about all of the big names. Moses and, and, and Abraham and, and David. Names that they all talk about. Names of people that were close to God And they think, therefore, because they know the names, they're close to God. And Peter says to them, but you're weird because you're not anything like these people. And so here's the punchline to it. How do you end up becoming weird in the worst sense of the word? When you no longer hold to the power of God and instead make the problems of people bigger. When you no longer hold on to the power of God but you make the problems of people bigger. You see, here's the deal. They worshiped the God who led Moses who led them out of the wilderness, who gave them manna and quail to eat in the desert, who took care of them, and even when they sinned against him, still provided. The God who gave them the promised land and even stopped the sun for Joshua in his battles. The God who gave them a king who slayed giants and was victorious over all the other nations. They worship a powerful God. But you know what happened? They began to focus more on the problems of people instead of the power of God. And so here's the deal whenever you focus on your problems over God's power, you know what will happen? You'll start to come up with sinful solutions. And you'll be religious. But you'll start becoming weird. You'll talk about God. You'll talk as as Paul said in Titus, they have the form the form of godliness, of righteousness. (laughs) But they're not. They're unfit for anything good because. They have the name of God, but they don't have the power of God. And because they don't have the power of God, they just create their own solutions. And so when they're unhappy, what do they do? They drink. When they're lonely, what do they do? They turn to pornography, they go to prostitutes. When they're angry, what do they do? They commit crimes, they beat their wives. When they're lacking something, what do they do? They steal from others. When their egos aren't big enough, they exploit their churches and twist the gospel. You see, Christians become weird when the power of God isn't as big as the problems of people. And so we rely on our own solutions and not God's power. And here's the thing. We'll still say to everyone else in the world, we believe the Bible's true. We'll still say to everyone else in the world that yes, we believe that God parted the Red Sea. Yep, we believe that Jesus took a a few fish and a couple of loaves of bread and he fed over 5,000. We believe that. We believe the God we worship is so powerful. He can raise Jesus from the dead. We believe it, but we don't. And so when it comes to our problems, we come up with our solutions that are sinful. And the rest of the world look at us and they say, these people are just weird They are so, they are big hypocrites. They don't believe in anything they say. If their God is as powerful as the way they live, their God isn't overly powerful. They worry about whether their portfolios are going to still be around in a few years instead of letting go of what they have and feeding the poor. They spend their time envious of what other people have and doubtful over God's blessings. They talk a big game, but when you ask them questions about their God and what he's done, they can barely point to you a story in the scriptures. See, people look at us and they say, they're just weird. Now, Is that every bullet? Of course not. And the point of the story isn't just to sit here and tell you how weird you are. The point of the story is to remember this. You don't have to be. The world needs us not to be. But the only way we can get there is simply by holding God's power as something bigger than all of our problems Imagine if you did that. Imagine what you would look like if every time a problem came into your life you just simply said, God's got it. I'm good. He'll feed me. He'll heal me. He'll help me. He'll comfort me. Because we're talking about the God who parted the seas. We're talking about the God who could take a few fish and some loaves and, and feed 5,000 people. He can feed me and take care of my family. We eat a lot, but not that much. We're talking about a God that can walk up to the lame and heal them if that's what his choice is. Imagine if we believe that God's power is bigger than our problems. The world would not look at us and say... Christians are so weird. When they come through the drive-in, why don't they just turn down that crazy music they listen to and pay attention to the fact that they're trying to short us of money? Why don't they just leave a tip when they're in a restaurant instead of just a track telling them how to get to heaven? Why don't they care when they see hurting people? See, I think if we hold on to the power of God, we're going to be like Peter and John. They're off to prayer. They're off to worship God. They're off to grow in righteousness and holiness. But it's real. Because when they see a beggar, when they see an outcast, their faith becomes real because they believe in The power of God's love for that person, and that's what God wants. So practically, how do we hold on to it? One, simply you remember it. Remembering is important because we forget every day, don't we? How many things do you forget in a day? I'm telling you, there are there are times that I'll say, "Ooh, write that down so you don't forget it." Where's my pad? Where's my pen? What was I going to write down? What was I going to write? I don't even know what I was going to write down. Doesn't that drive you wild? Or guys, you know this one, right? You're working on something at home and and you take your tape measure and you put it somewhere and you look for it like a second It's not the... How much easier is it for us to forget the things of God because we're in a world where there's spiritual warfare going on We're in a world where there's a battle in us between our spirit and our flesh. Our flesh wants to do everything that feels good and our spirit wants to do what is good. Why was Peter going to the temple at three o'clock? Because the Jews would pray anytime, anywhere between three to seven times a day because they understood remembering is what keeps you straight. Remembering is what you do, what you read the scriptures you don't take them for granted. You don't just wait for Sunday. You read them because you understand I won't make it to Sunday. Because guess what? I won't make it to Sunday. You remember by looking at what God has done for everyone in the past and in prayer you remember each day because you record what God has done in your life. One, you remember. Two, You expect. You don't just remember it, you expect it. Why do we make our problems bigger than God's power? Because we don't really expect it. We let our junk get in the way. We say, I know I'm not that lovable. I know that God knows me deeply and intimately. And there's no way he could want to have anything to do with me. Yeah, maybe last year. But this year, oh yeah, I hit it right out of the park. You don't think God knows that? God is your heavenly father. And he knows how to love his children better than you know how to love yours. How do you hold on to the power of God over the problems of your life? You remember every day you take the time and you expect that as long as you remember and as long as you open yourself and you believe, you'll see his power. Number three, you practice it. You exercise it. Here's the thing. You can waste your time thinking about how to solve your problems or you can stop where you are, look at what's in front of you and say, God, what would you have me to do right now? I was, I was reading this system on organization. Um, <clears throat> I forgot his name, I'm sorry. <laughs> there we go. I had it, I honestly did. It went away. Uh, but basically this guy's, premises take all of your the things that you have to do and and write them all down in different categories and then just kind of put them all in one thing and then just grab one at a time don't prioritize just grab one at a time because he says this because if you prioritize them and everything else they're going to look big and bad and scary and you're going to get overwhelmed and you won't do them So just take them one at a time and do them and don't spend any time worrying about (laughs) them. What if we just did that in the sense of, God, I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about how I'm going to pay that bill. I'm not going to worry about how I'm going to mend that relationship. I'm just going to show up today and I'm going to exercise the power that you've given me in your spirit to do whatever I have to do. And you know what? It might not seem big to you but it'll be big it might just be i'm going to shut my mouth that might not seem big but if it doesn't seem big it's for you i'm going to be positive i am going to stop looking for the black cloud behind every sunrise I'm going to recognize that God's power is more powerful than alcohol. It is more powerful than sex. It is more powerful than money. And so I'm going to stop obsessing. I'm going to stop acting out. I'm going to stop going in that direction and I'm just going to go where God has me right now doing what he would have me to do. And knowing that when the day ends, I will have peace and I will have rest. You exercise it. That's the only way you can hold it. So if God brings before you somebody who needs help, you help. If God lays on your heart a situation where you should give, you give. If God shows you an area to change, you change it. You exercise it, and lastly, you share it. Probably the number one sin that unbelievers say makes believers look weird, are you ready for this? They don't share their faith. And to unbelievers, that looks weird. You think, oh, no, 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 what makes this weird? All these people running around telling people about Jesus. Yeah, if only. <laughs> we hear it every day, don't we? People are just plaguing us everywhere we go about Jesus. No. What's weird is your neighbors have gotten an inkling you're a Christian, but you don't say a word to them. In fact, they don't even think you like them. That's weird. You want to hold to the power of God you know what John and Peter did. They didn't go around banging on everyone's door. and Just everywhere they went, they looked to demonstrate the power of God and to share with others His power with their lives and with their lips. See, if you commit to those, you'll have a powerful life. Some of you are probably even thinking, Power of God? What are you crazy? I've prayed, but God didn't do anything. Maybe. Maybe you prayed for His power to do it your way, and He's not going to do that. Maybe you prayed for His power, but you didn't want to change your lifestyle. I can tell you something. Everyone I've ever met with in my life who tells me about how God has abandoned them and how, you know, I did everything His way and it just didn't work. You know what I usually find? You didn't do everything His way. Not even close. Now, does that mean God will only act on your behalf if you do? No. All you have to do is just be humble. All you have to do is just ask. And all you have to do is just receive. And he'll do it for you and you. See, here's the deal. We should be weird so much in the right way that other people around us would experience our love and they would see the power of God and they would say to themselves, why don't I have that God? That's just weird. Please join me in prayer.